And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now, while this episode will air long past the day after the presidential election, that's the day that we're recording it. And today's topic feels relevant for that because we're going to talk about social impact startups. And now what does that have to do with the presidential election? Well, in 2020, it has a lot to do with it because there have been a lot of topics related to the social impact of the things that occur in and around our lives that has everything to do with business, politics, oh man, a lot of different stuff. So we're going to get into that. Now, before we get too far into this, a quick reminder, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by GEWKC. Now that stands for Global Entrepreneurship Week. It's taking place in Kansas City, November 16th through the 20th, go to GEW and register for all the events happening. GEWKC.org. Now look, you don't have to be in Kansas City to go. You can do it from anywhere. And I'm hoping that all of the hustlers out there listening are going to represent and crowd up those virtual rooms and everything else. Now, I did promise that we talk about social impact. And as usual, I've brought in someone to try to explain the finer points of any topic to me. With me today, I have Matt Strauss. And Matt is the co-founder and CEO of RiseKit. It's a Chicago-based startup. They do a lot of social impact stuff. And we're going to talk all about that. But first off, Matt, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks for having me, Matt. You know, no one tells the story better than the founder themselves. So let me just... Go ahead and hand you the mic and let's hear a little bit more about your backstory. Yeah. Um, so I'm Matt Strauss from the Chicagoland area. Um, and I live in Chicago. Uh, how this all happened was I was actually mentoring a bunch of Chicagoans that live in underserved communities while I was in venture capital, who I met uh, one of your team members, Jessica Powell, while I was in venture capital, small world. Um, but yeah, what I learned uh, while I was mentoring a lot of folks that were uh, living in underserved communities is that it's, there's not a transparent path towards the career um, or a meaningful career. So we learned there has to be a solution to help people uh, break down all the silos to find the right opportunities as well as uh, overcome their barriers to employment. So um, yeah, my learnings started off with the, the individual job candidate. And then I realized I had to monetize uh, the business <laughs> to be sustainable. So I then learned from the government system, the nonprofits and the employers, uh, which I'll probably talk a lot about today. So, um, but it all ended up where we are today uh, with Rise Kids. So, what we do is um, we connect people typically in underserved or blue collar communities to jobs, training programs, and supportive services. Um, what that means is we put them on a, a meaningful career path. 
Um, why it's powerful is um, we break down the silos and other problems that we solve, as well as help employers find entry-level talent while helping the training program in school um, measure their impact and save time along the way. Um, there's a lot more to it because it's a very complicated problem as you know, we have folks that are dealing with some of the toughest days of their lives, but we're grateful to be a social impact company to really empower people along the way. And I can go on forever about that though. Well, so I always like to, to keep it simple in the yeah. beginning. And, you know, so I, I, while you were, and thanks for that explanation, and I'm looking forward to learning more about what you did now. I just did a simple Google search. What is social impact? And uh, that's defined by the internet, <laughs> which means it could have many definitions or levels of truth to it. But, uh, and now I'm buying this one though. So what is social impact? It's a, a significant positive change that addresses a pressing social challenge. And it can also be defined as creating social impact as the result of a deliberate set of activities with a goal matching this definition. Now, uh, I want to get another definition. So you mentioned the term underserved communities. Can we define like who that typically is or, or even where? Yeah, so our job candidates uh, typically have an income level of about, or household income level about 40,000 or less. Um, and typically they live in areas that are high in poverty, sometimes crime in Chicago as well and, and violence. Um, our job candidates are about, Right now, we have about over four, about 4,000 candidates, a little bit left right now. And I'd say about 90% are diverse, uh, Hispanic, African-American, or uh, from a different uh, country. And um, the biggest barriers to employment that we see in Chicago are past incarceration, childcare, housing, and transportation. Um, and then tied to all that is lack of confidence due to systematic barriers that we've seen. In Atlanta and Dallas, it's similar, um, except housing is a little bit more stable uh, we've seen so far in Atlanta and Dallas, but the other problems are just transportation is pretty big in those cities. So, so, okay. so, well, so, so according to your website, you know, how do we, if we say how you say, how do we rise together? And you, you talk about connecting uh, under or unemployed candidates to careers, training and resources while making or providing analytics for employers, nonprofits and grant makers. So is this about the connection between the two? Cause I, I was like, where, where was the disconnect? Like that. So every, every business has to solve a problem and your, yeah. your business does too. And then every business has to eventually either monetize, make some money or create some revenue, which you acknowledged was, was clearly something that you figured out along the way. But you know, when it comes to the, like, so the true problem that was what? It's so fragmented and hard for someone coming out of prison or living under a community without a criminal record trying to increase their social capital and access to get a job. That's the highest level summary of it. The way you have to do for a lot of people. So uh, why are softwares, I guess, go back. Why are softwares solving this problem is that we help an individual uh, identify what poverty is to them. So when they, they can build a resume on our software, uh, as well as answer 19 questions on their barriers to employment. So we can actually show folks what's uh, slowing them down. Um, that helps them kind of take over um, and, and own what their challenges are. From there, uh, we also don't just do the intake. We actually connect people to the jobs or training or support, depending upon where they're at in their story. So the more data that we get from our job candidates, the more information they give us, the more we can help them, meaning it's a pretty uh, good partnership that we create. Then the problem that we've learned is, let's just say if my name is Johnny and I'm coming out of prison, 
I'll typically hear about one training program or two, but there's literally hundreds, sometimes thousands in their city that can help them. Uh, Rise Kids solves that problem to show all those training programs, but also all the jobs after you go through the training programs that could be best for them. And we have an in-house team that tries to grow the network so we can increase access to those opportunities the more we grow. So how, what, made, what made you passionate about solving this problem? Yeah, there's a number of people I've mentored along the way. Um, a man named Silk, a guy named Sam. I can't use last names. Um, but long story is uh, the people that I've mentored, whether they're homeless or coming out of prison, they all had like one major barrier. I found out it was a resume was the main one, the lack of confidence or they didn't know what a good resume looked like. But then there's just sub barriers that tied to it, whether it's transportation or childcare. And I realized um, I would meet them while I was volunteering at nonprofits. And I realized I would try to help and I had to go back to my work and my last job while I was volunteering. So I would give the resume to the nonprofit and I realized a nonprofit staff member didn't have enough time to solve the problem, to help them with their resume or help them find a job. Their network was, or was smaller. So that's when I realized if we can save the nonprofit or the training program or school time, we can then uh, monetize on that, as well as we can then bring in employers to find jobs, candidates across hundreds of organizations versus just one at a time. So we found out ways to monetize um, through nonprofits and employers in that way. So by doing all that, just from volunteering in underserved communities, helping about 20 people um, find jobs and resources, but I just realized it was 15 to 20 different train rides and bus rides for a lot of our individuals to figure out where to go. That's just not acceptable. Um, I understand why, how frustrating it can be for, for our folks. And that's why we built a, a social impact or a purpose-driven software to help people. So, and this is maybe a stupid question, but how does software help reduce a number of bus rides or something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's like a single common survey or profile or intake form. So when someone creates a resume and answers these questions, we can then uh, use our matching and suggest people write jobs and resources based on their profile versus having to make a phone call or take a bus ride to the nonprofit and not see if it's a good fit or not. Now, what we'll be adding is like a, almost like a review, if you will, or a score of how someone has done along the way through those organizations to provide data for the next person to see how powerful the training was along the way. And that those analytics are so powerful for grant makers being government or foundations to get real-time data across their uh, nonprofits or schools or grantees. And that's how we also uh, end up scaling this and growing this along the way. Yeah, there's definitely, you, you know, one of the things, there's a couple of things you said, uh, you know, uh, that really kind of made the light bulb pop. Uh, one of the things we say internally at full scale, uh, you know, that's the company that owns Startup Hustle and my, I jokingly refer to as my day job. Um, that said, uh, when we have younger employees or people with less experience, we often say, well, we need to show them what winning looks like. And you, you talk about the, and, and, you know, I think that many of us, especially in leadership roles, or maybe just as like global citizens, don't necessarily understand that there are so many people that have never had that view. They've never had that angle. They're, they haven't been uh, like the proverbially tall enough to see over the fence to see what's on the other side, you yeah. know, in certain cases. And you know, I think you have a really good point there because if, you know, for those of you listening, how old were you or at what point did you realize what a decent resume looked like? And, you know, I, I talked to so many uh, people that are wanting to start a business or have something in mind, or they've started one and they're wondering why it isn't going well. And I, 
you know, I go to look for their website and I found out it's just a Facebook page. And I say, you got to look like you're in the business of doing whatever it is you say that you do. And the same thing goes for you're, you're, you are individually, we are all entrepreneurs with the services that we provide as employees to many people and you have to represent yourself well. So, uh, is that, a, is that a, is that just something that you, that your software and rise kit kind of walks someone through and they just, it, I mean, it, it's prevent, it prevents you from creating a bad resume. Uh, yeah. It's one of the features that we have on it also looks pretty. Um, but what, but what I would say which is, which matters by the way, that does matter. Yeah. 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 For a lot of folks, when we first launched uh, our software back in 2018, we just had a way to upload a PDF of a resume or a Word doc. And a lot of the resumes that we saw looked like a snake. Um, it wasn't centered and there's a couple of typos. So we realized, uh, yes, there's employer bias in someone's name and zip code, unfortunately. But there's really bias and lack of professionalism in resumes. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just the candidates that we work with don't know what a good resume typically looks like. And you know, we all think we're our own graphic designer because we all have Canva now, <laughs> so you do it ourselves, but uh, let alone a Word doc hard enough to format, you know, as well, especially if you're only using it on your cell phone, right? And if, uh, most of our cancel use your cell phone, so you can't really look what a good Google Doc or Word doc looks like uh, through a resume. But uh, I'll go a little bit deeper than that. Um, the, the problem that we've observed that is actually keeps us up at night and why we work pretty hard, or very hard at Rise Fit. Um, we are teaching often uh, job candidates the wrong way to fish. We're teaching them to fish, but the wrong way to fish. So we're starting to create like this single common pathway, to, or not single, but multi-dimensional pathway towards employment based on someone's interests and tie that across cities along the way. So whenever someone signs up, they can kind of see how ready they are for a job and then get them to hopefully go later in the funnel. So we can connect them to employers along the way, because what we've seen is, a lot of schools and training programs will just send somebody coming out of prison, like a hundred jobs, like, Hey, apply to all of them, but they're not only qualified for maybe one or two of them. Now imagine the employers on the other side of the tunnel, like, why am I getting these hundreds of candidates from, but they're not even qualified. So the employers are like, I don't want to partner with underserved communities as much because I'm getting bad candidates, but really it's just a, a lack of understanding of what employability means. And that's what technology can really help with and solve this really complicated a challenge along the way. So, so when it comes to what you're doing, I mean, the social impact is one thing, but when you get, when we get really binary and we got to just be zeros and ones, you're, you're an employee, you're an employment company. And, yeah. and now that's a crowded space and there's a lot of, you know, I mean, it's, let's just be realistic. You're not first to, to that to that space. So how do you, how do you, as a startup, how do you navigate through that? What are you doing to stand out or be a little bit different? I mean, the, the social impact part is, is clearly part of that. But like I said, when you get down to zeros and ones, if people want to hire, they're still going to, there's a lot of places out there they can look. So yeah. how do you, how do you drive that into something monetizable, useful or scalable? Yeah. yeah so uh, the employer is focused on them or staffing for so we partner with both. We're like a LinkedIn for them. So they just post job and find entry level talent across many organizations and schools in Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta. So we save them time and we offer them three options. Come on for free and have one live posting, uh, have up to three postings for 250 a month, or hey, we can do a placement fee model where we'll actually screen candidates for you. And uh, if they get hired, you'll give us a placement feedback. 
And believe it or not, that's actually the most valuable part is the last part, because the problems that we've learned from the staffing firms or the employers is that they'll get too many candidates from Indeed or LinkedIn. There's not enough entry level candidates they are more mid-level and higher. And they have trouble screening candidates, but it's a lot of time. So we, we're starting to prove that we'll save employers um, about, it, it was about 600 minutes of time on screening candidates in terms of reviewing resumes, uh, setting up a 20 minute call to screen someone. And that's enough value right there. So um, it's exciting. And then I guess the last problem is if you think about it, we were surprised that someone like McDonald's, but let alone like a software company, they can actually like Google, they can only partner truly with one or two schools or training programs at once. We let them partner with hundreds and just share what it takes to get a job at their company. And we just go find them for them. They just don't know their ROI and trying to hire uh, from underserved communities. So we lower the risk of that ROI as well as we bring in diverse candidates. And you know, with the current uh, country or landscape, uh, it's really important to increase your diversity hiring initiatives, especially to make sure we solve some systematic issues that are going on. You know, hiring in general is, is tough. And, at, you know, at full scale, that's something that we've had to develop expertise around. And, you know, it's it, regardless of who you're hiring and what they do and what their level of, there's different challenges. You know, for us, um, oh, I don't know, I get 10 to 15 applicants a day, uh, which honestly is a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, that's hundreds a month. And then, you know, the, the thing is, is a resume doesn't tell you the whole story. It no. just gives you an idea. I mean, that's like the back of a baseball card. This is what someone has done. It doesn't yeah. tell you anything about what they, well, it gives you an idea about what they might be able to do. And eh, there's some things you can definitely look for. And, you know, in our case, we had, we've had to develop, you just talk about, you know, where I'm going with this is hiring is, is a science and it's difficult and anything you know, whether you're trying to hire or get hired, anything that you can do to delegate or innovate. Yeah. Um, and I say delegate, and that's why people hire headhunter firms and, yeah. and just placement firms and stuff like that. Because you know, here's the thing is if you put, especially for uh, uh, an entry level type job, if you put, if you do a job post, you can, you probably get hundreds of applicants. And mm -hmm. that's why you talk about like the appearance at first. Cause when you, when you're a hiring manager or someone, and you're looking at this giant stack of resumes or in some places they CV yeah. curriculum vitae or vital or something, I don't know, CV, that's what they call it anywhere, but here. And and you're looking at it and you have a back of them and you pick one up and it looks like junk. You just throw it away because there's, exactly. you know, you're like next. And if you can't represent yourself well, then there's other things. Now for us, we had to take it to multiple levels because we have to do technical assessments. So we created like 30 different proprietary coding tests. Now that said, that doesn't tell us anything about a person. So we had to, we realized that pretty quickly. So we had to create another side to it that was that, well, it humanized the candidates. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't just make you a, an assessment score or a resume. We wanted to get to know people. Like, are these the kind of people, do they have a good attitude? Do they communicate? Do they seem like they're going to, they're going to be problem solvers? Are they leaders? Are they followers? And like, you know, and I mean, and I like I literally employ multiple people just to try to help me find the few that we hire every month. So yeah. it's it's a big it's a big not only is it and and here's the thing, two and a half years later, like we're really good at it. And I still yeah. look at it and I'm like, God, we got so much work to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I commend you on t on taking on those challenges and especially 
for a, a wide array. See, we know what we want and that makes yeah. it a little easier. But if you're covering a wide array, it's kind of like, I'm also the founder of gigabook.com, which is a fully customizable booking platform. So I understand the challenges in making things that are non-specific. Cause, oh God, if I had to, if I had, a, if my time machine worked, I'd go back in time and just pick an industry and ace yeah. it, you know, cause as an entrepreneur, it's easier to, it, it, a common mistake I find people making, and let me know if you've done any of this is we often try, especially in the earliest stages we're we're ambitious. Yeah. The sun, the sky is filled with sun and no clouds and the flowers are blooming. And, you know, we're all on our way to the moon and our, and, and get ready to get in our Lambos. Right. And, and all that. And then reality hits. And oftentimes we're trying to be good at six things before we're good at one. Yeah. And it's all part of our plan. So like, what was your, what was your plan? How did you actually plan for something that has so many variables? And did you, did you make that same, uh, have you gone down that same rabbit hole of trying to be good at too many things before being great at one? Oh yeah. We, I've made so many mistakes like that. And I'd say every, every month we become even more and more focused. Um, and I say like, we're a startup right now. We're almost a business, like a small business. Our goal is to become that. We can do just repeatable processes to grow. So, uh, yeah, looking back, um, I'd say my biggest failure was, um, I had an unfair insight when we first launched, uh, our business was called solve before now it's called rise kit. Um, when we were called solve, I had met, I would meet with like 10, I, what I'm going to, I can get in front of people pretty well. And I would meet with some influential nonprofits or schools or governments or employers and candidates. And I would learn their problems in and out. And it helped me kind of imagine what the future could look like. I had trouble relaying that information to my uh, team that I had um, because I guess we had a different vision where they wanted to build a case management tool for a nonprofit. While I said that's not going to be good enough because Salesforce and all these other ones out there, we're never going to beat Salesforce in them or even survive, you know, this model. When we can automate tracking for a lot of our uh, nonprofits and, and so forth. So uh, my biggest mistake was, yeah, I, um, I wasn't able with my team to clearly articulate my vision of the business and my learnings in every meeting to then truly iterate our business and software design and process. Um, and I, I don't know, I'll take the responsibility for it, but I also do know there was just a struggle internally that we had uh, and, and just because uh, we had a different vision, right? And I would say the average entrepreneur, <clears throat> it's a lonely journey, right? So you just want to find anyone that can join you on your journey. And um, at times it could be the worst part. Um, and I, I'm in okay terms with my old team and I think there's great people, but you know, unfortunately we just had a different vision that it took me two years of, or a year and a half to figure that out. Looking back, I, I wish I <clears throat> really talked about the tough things at first. Um, to make sure that we were aligned because we really weren't aligned. And now, you know, we I had to completely rebuild our whole team and I love it. I love where we're at now, but I had to do that while fundraising and building out a feature or two and, and staying focused on the candidate versus on the nonprofit experience. But it was yeah, a, you, you said something you said something there that hit mm -hmm. home. You talked about, you know, being a founder and having a startup, it's a lonely journey. And you know, honestly, man, that's why we started this podcast. That's what Matt Watson and I almost three years ago 
uh, December of 2017, we started this show because we wanted to complain about being entrepreneurs <laughs> and, you know, just meaning like, and, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the storyline we've wanted to stick with because, man, this stuff is not easy and it is not for the faint of heart. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's so many times the, the perception that people get of entrepreneurs is just the winning side. And, I'll tell you what, that is not a good representation of it. We're actually, uh, we just announced that we're going to do, we're going to record a web series, Startup Hustle TV. And we've already started working on that. That's going to, uh, we want to document those stories. And, you know, on, on some segments, they'll be boring. Like, you know, and I've been documenting my own stuff and, uh, you know, and you talk about lonely. So I had one day and I, I tracked it. I sat down at my computer at seven in the morning in my office by myself right now. I'm just by myself. And I, my day ended at midnight by myself, 17 hours later, you know, in front yeah. of a computer. Now the thing is, is yeah, I was connected to other people and doing stuff, but yeah. I mean, it can feel lonely. And I think that one of the, and you know, one of the challenges that you had to deal with, was very common. Now, you know, before, before I expand on that, you know, there's, and, and part of what's helpful, you know, there's a lot of things out there, like the, the sponsor of today's episode, Global Entrepreneur Week. And there are, there are things that you can get involved with that help you understand the journey. Now with, with that, I want to let, you know, we mentioned Global Entrepreneur Week in KC coming up November 16th through 20th, and you can get into that online. You don't have to be in KC for that. They're also going to do primetime events and those are going to pl take place each day. November 17th through the 19th. And they're going to ha have up to four hours of programming and networking uh, in, on an interactive and engaging digital platform. So, you know, global, uh, while we say GEWKC, I mean, this can be global and it's, uh, you know, going to open up, you know, virtual, small in-person community events as well, when and where COVID will allow. Um, and, you know, through those same dates and, you know, throughout the community, expanding in the region and growing the reach of, of this, of, of their event. And I've been a presenter at that. And you can register for those at GEWKC.org. Now, now, with that, that's just an example that we all need a guide. And, you know, like whether that's a podcast or a YouTube channel or a book or something like that, um, you know, we, any, any story has uh, has a has characters and then there's those that guide them who's been your biggest guide along the way like you not you not the other way around not who you're guiding but who is who and you know that could be an that could be an investor a partner a mentor anyone like who's who has helped shaped who matt strauss is yeah there's been a, a few people in my life that have uh, really helped so first i would say um our vp of operations dario uh, he actually was an investor. He uh, then came on full time. <clears throat> I've uh, I, I've realized it's been Rice has been most enjoyable having someone like him on just to be able to vent and <laughs> talk about things and let him figure out solutions with me from his years of experience. So definitely Dario, <clears throat> um, also an investor named Scott Calic, who's been my business coach uh, once a week. Um, yeah, basically it's life or business that I'll talk to him about. And he's very experienced at sales. So it helps me also, that's like my favorite thing about Rescue to become a better salesperson too. Um, and then my, my family, so, and my girlfriend have been extremely supportive, uh, so much so that they just always ask about how things are going. And I'm like, just don't want to talk about it today. <laughs> don't just, just talk about anything else but this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would uh, really appreciate them, you know, all as well. 
I, I, I personally feel that my wife deserves a Nobel prize or something for having to listen to me for 10 years, you know, and it's like, and, and, uh, I mean, I, I apologize and thank her in in many sentences. Cause yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, dude, it's it, like the reality of, of a start, a brand new business, a startup does not come with an owner's manual. And that's, that's the problem. And, uh, therefore, that means any time and every time something occurs in the beginning, it's the first time. Yeah, you got to figure out how to deal with it, and then sometimes figure out how to not have to deal with it in the future. You're doing that amidst a lot of other stuff. You have pressure to get moving. Uh, you know, trying to do a lot of different stuff. Uh, very common to have uh, aligned misalignment among founders. Mm -hmm. Like we all think we want to do the same thing, but we're not aligned. Yeah. Um, and you know, you talk mm -hmm. about defining that vision and where you're going. What's a, what's a tip you could give to someone stuck in that situation about how you can define the path? Yeah, I would say find a mediator. Um, if you need help translating your vision or anything, uh, find someone that, uh, hopefully not paid for, but hopefully an advisor, someone that you know to kind of be the in-between because it's usually in the founder's brain and just in your own words. Um, so it's usually uh, really helpful to have that mediator. But that's something I've struggled with over the years. And, you know, so at Full Scale, our, our chief marketing officer, Joel Johnson, who's also the founder of Mixtape the Game, which we've invested in, Go check that out. Go to mixtapethegame.com. It's a fun, fun party game. You need to start playing that on the show again. You need three people to really play it. And we kind of switched to a two-person format. But Joel is able – so he's a, a very gifted and talented designer. And he's able to and, – and, you know, when, I, when he was interviewing, uh, he said, well, what do you need the most help with? I'm like, D getting it out of my head. You know, like getting, cause I, I'm not a designer. You've mentioned Canva earlier. Canva turned me into like half a designer, which honestly was super freaking helpful. Because yeah. I was able to just, you know, like I remember uh, nine years ago when I discovered the annotated screenshot and like, I was like, ah! you know, cause I could finally like take a screenshot and put these little thought bubbles. And that's what dealing with me is like a lot of thought yeah. bubbles and like, you know, whatever Apple has in their annotation tools, but. You know, but that's a challenge. And I, I, you know, I think in the, it, when trying to define the path and the vision, I think the thing that's important for founders to understand is that the people that work around you are not mind readers. They, do, do, you should not and cannot assume that they can see into your head because they can't. And, you know, and so that becomes a challenge. I, I, another thing too, is I think that especially in the beginning, it's important to really, you know, you have to eat an elephant one bite at a time. So, and they say, start with the tail. So pick some easy wins, you know, like what are easy wins and don't, you know, and build a culture that celebrates those wins, you know, like um, it, it, once again, especially, you know, you're working with not, not nonprofit, not for profit, whatever they want to call themselves now. And that's also tough too, because these are thankless moments a lot. You know, and uh, you mentioned Chicago. My uncle Dave was the president of the United Way in Chicago uh -huh. for years. Like he's got you know, this pr picture with like five different presidents. And, yeah. you know, and I, I've had a conversation with him. I'm like, what's it like to be in that? He's like, it's amazing because you get to help people, but you can't expect anyone to say thanks. And, uh, you know, and that, that's, I, I'm not really driven by praise. So I kind of get that. But look, a lot of people are. So, 
And I think, you know, also take time to acknowledge, you know, like, and listen. Uh, that's something I, I always try to get better at. Because yeah. that's another thing too, is as founders, oftentimes we can plow right through everyone else's sentiment because we're so hyper-focused on what we do. And then I think one last thing on that is uh, you need to understand that your employees, and I say employees, people you pay for their services, that's the yeah. technical exchange there, they're never going to care about it as much as you do. So you can't expect that. That's an unfair expectation because you have a clear vested interest in all yeah. of it. And that can be really frustrating. Did, did you have some of that in the beginning? Yeah. Still do. It's yeah. it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Like I remember, I remember years ago, um, I, I remember one specific incident because I was like driving to the store or something, and I talked to myself the whole way. I was like arguing with myself out loud. And then I finally dawned on me, I was like, shit, they're never gonna care as much. And why would they? Yeah. So you either need to give everyone else a reason to care. Um, and there's a lot of ways to do that. You know, there's ways to do that. You can give people some incentives, shares, and different stuff like that, but if you're not going to do that, then you need to expect people to show up and do their jobs. And that's the, that's the contract and the agreement you've made with them. They're not, you know, now look, if you find people that care over and above that, that is a quality you cannot train for sure. You cannot train people to care. So I, I have a lot of love for that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's a challenge. So you have that same issue. Yeah. Um, I think it just kind of hit me. He's like, I have an insane amount of passion for this. Um, and it's an insane amount. <laughs> so uh, it's not. Well, it, that, that can also, that turns into emotion. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's like, the, like there's so many words that have, have a very thin line in between them. Like, am I obsessed or driven? Yeah. Am I a genius or am I crazy? Like, yeah. now look, the, you can walk on, you can straddle that line all the way down the definition for all that. So, um, all right. So you now, uh, according, once again, according to the internet, which is sometimes true and sometimes not, you've had some success raising capital for this. Can we, are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So, well, we talk about things that are frustrating and not filled with any thanks until the end, when you get a check, let's talk about, I mean, what, give us a little background about the fundraising and how that went. Yeah, we've raised three dates to round, uh, to, to round, to date, three rounds to date. <laughs> and uh, first one was a $50,000 pre-seed. I thought it was really easy because it happened in like two months. That was in like early 2018. 2019, I raised a $2.5 million post round. I raised about $660,000 from pretty influential uh, family offices, offices here in Chicago. And then just about two months ago, we just closed on a five months it took to close it. Uh, a seed plus round of 1.4 million where our lead investors stand together, put in 750 and ask for a board seat. Um, it's uh, it's a love hate thing when it goes through, it's the best feeling in the world. I hate it because it's like just see my damn vision and just buy onto it. But I would say we're in social impact, so most of our investors, you know, um have a mission in their life or, or, or have a care about this as well as um, can offer value in this or um, can write a check because they believe that something needs to get solved in this problem and they were tired of donating or tired of uh, the current ways which they're never going to stop donating they just think there needs to be a way to make sure donation has a return on their donation so yeah so, social social impact times capitalism is a tough sell for some people. It's like, uh, 
Um, I was watching a documentary about Herbalife. It's, I think it's mm-hmm. called First Zero or something like that. And, and you know, like they're, you know, the guy, the, the activist investors like saying, hey, look, this is, this is not right, blah, 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 blah. And then they take it to Wall Street and the stock price actually went up at one point. And someone on there is like, yeah, taking your moral problems to Wall Street might not be the best <laughs> approach because they don't care. You know, and so, but that, that's a challenge. And I got to say, man, at this point, I have literally talked to hundreds of founders and I have yet to meet anyone that's like, oh, dude, I love raising capital. It's yeah. cool, man. It's a good time. It's because it, it's not. Episode two of Startup Hustle is titled Getting Funded Sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, I, you know, and maybe I need to go find one of those, you know, unicorn people that people throw money at. And I, so I have a feeling they still fucking yeah. hate it because everyone hates it. I've yet to find anyone. Now, with that, it is a popular topic. Uh, it is something that we discuss a lot. So what's it, what, what tip could you give someone that's either prepping for a round or in the middle of it? Yeah, make sure your business model works and makes sense, number one. Uh, prove that you have revenue and traction. Um, most of these folks, uh, whether it's an angel investor, family office, or if you're at your Series A and more institutional, they see enough deals and they're not going to want to meet with you if it's just an idea. That's the first thing. And I know it's hard, it's tough to hear that for a lot of people, but yeah, wealthy people uh, only like to make sure they can make their money back and more hopefully. So they will be very risk adverse in, in some of the deals that they see, but they will look at angel investment opportunities. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we're all humans, right? And um, I was, I still to this day, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm, I'm getting very good at it, is that never go into a meeting asking for money, ask for advice. Maybe in your Series A and higher raises, of course, it's a little bit different, but when you're in your angel raise, it's about the relationship. They're really betting on you more than the business if you're in a pivot 17 times anyways. Um, so uh, make sure that you go in trying to learn about the uh, angel investors' goals in their life and what they're passionate about and let them talk really first and then uh, kind of steer a conversation around that and take the meeting how you think is best. We, we talk about unscientific polls. So over the course of me personally being on over 400 episodes of this show, I've talked to a lot of investors along the way and I've asked them all, I said, what do you like to bet on, the jockey or the horse? 100% say the jockey. Yeah. And that that's that's just confirming what you're saying, especially in early stages. A hundred percent early stages. Cause look, here's the thing. They're looking at you as a one in ten chance. Mm-hmm. Like so so with that, uh, there's things they look for. I, you know, I want to add a couple a couple come proper, have your shit together, right? Don't don't show up. I always use this example. Don't show up when your cover page for your dot com says email me at Gmail. It's not a good look. Yeah. Uh, know your numbers. You know, know your numbers. And the thing is, is, is it's not about the features that your product offers. It's the benefits. So where do where do those exist? People buy benefits. And then the thing is, is much, like you said, you said, hey, we're all human. Admit it. Say, hey, I, you know, like I've got a lot to learn. And I get that. And I want to fail quickly so I can get those things out so we can get to the things that we're going to be good at faster. Um, and and it, if you sit down in an investor pitch and you know everything, you're not going to get an investment. <laughs> you're not because you don't know everything. And that's and, and that's what's really tough. Um, if you haven't gone through this process before, I will tell you it is one of the most humbling uh, 
because you know we're as founders and most founders and entrepreneurs are ego driven we're confident we're you know we're we're that that guy or girl or whatever you know and then and then you sit down and you know here's the thing like you're talking to very logical type a people which by the way are not your partners yet it's their job to get the best deal so they're going to beat you up a little bit and some of that and i've been on that side of the table because we've invested over a million dollars via full scale and I asked some people some things and like, I've had people get mad at me. I'm like, I'm just asking you like, you know, and, and, you know, the, but the thing is, is if you're arguing and being, if you're a pain in the ass at that stage of the process, well, first off, no investor wants to sign up for you to, for you to be a pain in the ass. So, you know, that's the thing. And, you know, and I don't know, it just kind of shows, uh, you know, where you're out on a lot of stuff. And, you know, me personally, I love, and I love entrepreneurs with scars. Like I want, I want to know that you failed because the person that hasn't failed is still walking around and thinking that they're bulletproof. I do not know any successful entrepreneurs that will not, that I I literally know none that cannot tell you a serious, serious story of heartbreak, fear, anxiety, or failure. And the thing is, is until you've, until you've had a healthy dose of that, well, you're a little cavalier. You know, yeah. you get, you're, you're brave. You're taking the four point shot, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, and I mean, it is what it is. And some people want to do that, but until, you know, you're, you're eventually not going to be on the good side of something. So, and, and investors don't like to, don't like to feel that you're going to do that with their money now. So it's okay. Like, so I've had people that I'm like, why are you pitching this idea? Well, I've had two startups that failed before <laughs> own it. This is what I learned from past failures. And this is how I'm going to avoid these failures in the future. So, okay. So we talked about a lot of stuff, man. I really like what you guys are doing. And, and, uh, you know, if you want to support rise kit, go, there's a link in the show notes, check out what they're doing while you're down there. Click the link for global entrepreneur week. Once again, G E W K C.org G E W stands for global entrepreneur week. Now this is an event that you had to be in person for in the past, um, while COVID has been a pain in the butt for so many people, it has opened up a lot of really interesting virtual opportunities and you can experience that too. Go to GEWKC.org. Highly recommended. I have presented multiple things in multiple different years there. And it's a really cool event brought to you by the people in my hometown in Kansas city. Now, I end my episodes of Startup Hustle with the Founders Freestyle, and this is going to be your chance to mention anything we missed, give advice, really anything. I mean, you can rap if you want. I mean, it's a freestyle. I mean, on on the and I'll take a turn after you. But you know, based on our conversation or your experience or anything, I mean, what what are your closing arguments, sir? Yeah, and and for the listeners out there. Um, I'll, I'll share a bit of my experiences and let you kind of relate to it. So as an entrepreneur or social entrepreneur, um, I've had an insane amount of passion to helping people in underserved communities get access to jobs and supportive services. Prior to this, I was in venture capital as like an accelerator, I had a couple of funds behind it. So I have seen kind of both sides of, of the coin, if you will. And what I'll tell all the entrepreneurs that I meet along the way you don't want to raise money unless you have to, <laughs> um, unless you like really want to become a massive company. But there's like before you even maybe go on your journey or as you're going on your journey, just think about it. Do you want a lifestyle business or do you want a business that you can scale and grow and, and, and maybe make your investors tons of money back? Right. 
Um, it's okay. Either or is a good good answer. But if it's a lifestyle business, just remember that you don't have to try to become the most successful company ever just to make sure you can support your family and yourself along the way and it's consulting or whatever it might be. Both are great businesses. But what I've seen along the way is uh, I'm having people that have a small business retail location, like connected to your venture capitalists. I'm like, that's not what venture capitalists do is they don't do retail typically. So um, just be be mindful of that. And then, and then lastly, just regarding social impact. Um, what I've seen in the space of social impact is it's become a very loose term because these social impact investors and, and venture capitalists I need to make a return for their LPs. So their terminology of social impact has kind of gone looser and looser. Um, what I would say is uh, with RiseKit, and would love for you to keep following us along, along the way, is that we actually have an incredible opportunity to become the most successful social enterprise of all time because the more uh, job placements we make, the more <clears throat> connections we make, the more data that we track, the more money we make as well as the more we optimize the experience leading to like that hockey stick of revenue tied to social impact. And that's why I've been so passionate about this business along the way is that I've never seen a true business model in social impact, whether it's green energy or, or helping people underserved communities or GoFundMe's out there. I truly have like a one-to-one -one correlation. Uh, and we actually have a one exponential. So I would love for you to follow us along the way. If you know anyone to connect with that are employers, uh, government systems, foundations, or nonprofits in your city, whether it's Kansas City or anywhere, feel free to go to our website, risekit.co. And uh, happy to always answer emails if you have questions about being a, an entrepreneur as well. So appreciate y'all. Uh, but I'll let Matt take it over here before I Well, very, very well stated. And, you know, the, I, I like to parlay off, off my guests' mm -hmm. uh, freestyle. So <laughs> if you spend enough time around me, you're going to hear me say that I believe capitalism is the cure. Um, cause, uh, businesses that are forced to make a profit focus on the things that matter. Now I say that I'm not hugely into politics or anything like that. We did mention we're recording this the day after the election, but you know, like you don't describe government as efficient ever said, no one ever said that, but the part of what capitalism does is it focuses on paying the bills and doing a lot of different stuff. Now, if you can mix that with social impact and things that you want uh, to, to fix, deal with, or handle, then you are really onto something. And, you know, that said, um, you know, there's a lot of different things. Now, not every social impact or thing that you want to deal with is monetizable. So I think in the beginning, you have to do exactly what, what Matt said. And, you know, like, do you want a lifestyle business? Do you want, you know, something that makes an impact in your community? Or are you trying to do something that's bigger and better? Now, there's nothing wrong with mixing. It's okay to make money changing the world. In fact, I can make a really strong argument about how the money you make changing the world can help you change the world even faster. Now, if you are going to take an approach like a social impact startup, you're going to have a little bit of a turbulent ride along the way because it's not as straightforward. Like you're going to have to find now, now that said with a lot of stuff that occurred in 2020, there are a hell of a lot of funds and things out there that are dumping money into social impact. So it's a good time to go chase some of that stuff, but it's a different approach and you need to handle it 
calmly and patiently because getting other people like much like you talked about in your business in the beginning, getting people to align with stuff in general is a challenge. It doesn't matter if it's profitable, not profitable, volunteer, any of it. It's difficult to get anything in alignment. So I, I think if you have a social impact startup, be prepared to explain to, well, it, A, if you want to make it a lifestyle business, go after it, but don't spend your time chasing VC money because you're not going to get it. You know, there's now, if you can get it, you have to still have like, like the, the people that write those checks are beholden to the other people that wrote them checks and they have to explain it. And on some levels, otherwise you need to be chasing grants. That's what grants exist for to try to fund things that aren't otherwise potentially fundable in some regards. So just have an idea about what you want to do, how you want to do it, who you can do it with and who the right people to put it in front of are. Cause if you don't define that and you're just chasing random this and that, well, your opportunity cost, meaning the value of what you're not doing is really going to stack up. So yeah. overall, that's my advice. Thanks again for joining me, Matt. For those of you who are out there, make sure to come go visit Startup Hustle XYZ. Sign up to be a part of Startup Hustle TV. I want to talk to you about that, Matt, because I think you have a really interesting entrepreneur story when it comes to social impact stuff. So I'm going to yeah. go ahead and end this episode and then we can chat. See you next time. See you. Thanks for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.